Hi, I'm George Bailey. My wife Christina and I have four children. We started this podcast, Choose the Nickel, in an effort to learn how to raise our children to be financially and professionally successful adults. We seek out fascinating people and ask them about their own childhood so that we can learn from them. Our next guest is Leslie Greenman, financial advisor and author of Dating Our Money, a women's guide to confidence with money and men. Leslie's goal is to help people plan for the unexpected curveballs life throws them, like death, divorce, and disease. Her mission is to empower people with the knowledge and confidence they need to make informed choices with money and men. You can learn more about Leslie Greenman by going to the show notes for this episode at choosethenickel.com. We hope you enjoy our conversation. Leslie Greenman, it's good to talk to you. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you. I'm excited to be here today. I really appreciate your willingness to be on Choose the Nickel, and I'm excited to talk with you a little bit about your book and some of the implications that it might have for children, particularly our daughters. As I was telling you earlier, I've been reading your book, Dating Our Money. Can you give us a little bit of a preview about that book and what it means and why you've been working on it? I think it's helpful if you also understand the subtitle is A Woman's Guide to Confidence with Money and Men, because I think we're going to talk about this journey with our children, too, and making sure that they can confidently manage their money. And the book really came from life. And everyone in listening today will say that they've had kind of one of those unexpected curveballs in life. I mean, maybe yours has been perfect, George, but for the rest of Not us. quite. <laughs> I, I'd say it's been short of perfect, but you know, yeah. And so this book was, my husband passed on at 35 unexpectedly when my kids were two and four. And we made a lot of the horrible financial mistakes that if I could save other people from making them, that'd be my goal. Wow. And that experience really impacted you. It's very sad. And yet you've taken something like that and you've turned it into something very positive with your message. How did you get the courage to come out with this message? I understand that if I was going to go through this, I wanted to make sure that I could bless others and really make sure it didn't happen. And I also feel like I had the role model of a strong mom who kept telling me probably the right advice. And I was not someone who wanted to bring up the uncomfortable conversations with my husband. And I realize now women just have to trust their gut and have those really uncomfortable conversations. And there's times when you push even when you don't want it. Speaking of your mother and the way in which she prepared you, she herself became a widow at a fairly young age and you lost your father when you were 15 years old. Tell me a little bit about that experience and how that prepared you to become an independent person. My father came home from a business trip and just in the middle of the night passed on completely unexpectedly. I will always say kind of I heard the scream and just the chill goes through you still today that you know Mm. that kind of your life will never be the same again. Everything changed overnight. I am grateful. I just remember all those scary conversations with my mother and just feeling so alone in this house 
house. But I also saw her strength within just a few months, kind of moved to a different city, had to build a new house, sell our current house, and just there were so many conversations because my siblings were, they were older. So it was just kind of my mom and I, where she really said, Leslie, you have got to learn to be prepared for the unexpected. You can't depend on another person. And I'm so grateful for that. That is a key phrase right there. And it's a theme that I've actually heard other people hit on that I know. I, I I know other women who have lost their fathers at an early age and have talked about the impact that that had on them, that insight that they had. I can't depend on another person. I need to know how to work for myself. And that's a huge theme that you hit throughout your book. I think that that's really powerful. And it's something that I want my daughters to know. I have two of those. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. I mean, how do we prepare our daughters as parents to be independent? How do we prepare them to function in this world, particularly with all of the expectations that I think that we heap on them? What a huge and important question. So I'm not sure, of course, that I can answer all of it, but I will try the best that I know how. There are different elements to this. First of all, if you understand by year 2030, women will control two-thirds of the wealth within the United States. Two-thirds. Oh, my gosh. Thirds. Wow. And we have such a responsibility now that statistics have changed and women are also the largest. They are the ones controlling most of the time the finances in the home. The new statistics have come out. In many situations, they are the largest breadwinner in the family. And so there's so many things that we have never been taught before in the dynamic of a woman kind of being the a key role in the finances. So this is uncharted territory. But there's also things that are very scary statistics. For example, right now, $1 million is supposedly the gap that women will have, millennial women will have, because they will never ask enough for raises during their career and their lifetime. And so I think one of the biggest things that we need to do as parents is give women confidence and teach them to have really uncomfortable conversations and not be scared to be in difficult positions. Like, for example, I'm so proud and my mother was this insane role model to me because, first of all, she went to Stanford and she said to me, you know, Leslie, I didn't even apply to another school. I mean, when I think (laughs) of that nowadays, I mean, that's mind boggling. And then she said when she sat for what's called the entrance exam into she went to Radcliffe, which was the women's version of. Harvard Business School at the time, she was the only woman in the room who sat for that exam. Wow. And even in the financial industry, they're saying right now that the Wall Street Journal had an article all about it, that it's only around one in five financial advisors are women in the industry. We have to get more confidence about managing our money, embracing learning about it, 
And even if we don't understand everything, start taking the baby steps. How do we message that then to our daughters? There are so many different ways. I will tell you two of the things I do with my children and nieces is that everyone knows that when they go out to a meal with me, they are only going to drink water. And I know that sounds so stupid, but I want them to understand that every single decision is a decision between spending and saving. Yeah. So for example, like you, anyone can go look online, either the soda cost calculator or coffee cost calculator. But for like a family of four, and again, you can do the numbers different, but if the average drink is around $3 and you're a family of four and you go out, that decision alone over 20 years can save you like 70 or $80,000. I mean, that's college tuition. Wow. 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 That's great. So basically you teach them to be really observant of the spending decisions that they're making, make them aware of some of these big numbers. It's funny. I've been working with my own daughter. I give her an allowance and I've noticed that she is more aggressive a spender than my sons. And, and so I thought like, oh my gosh, I've got to nip this in the bud. Because I want her to know the value of saving. And so whenever we walked her past the claw machine at Walmart, she would always go for it. She just like, she was begging me like, dad, I want to use my money to throw at the claw machine. You know, the one that has the claw oh, that's supposed to go down to get, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. And it was so hard to get her to not want to do that thing. But at the same time, I wanted her to have that chance to fail. So I would say, okay, let's put another dollar in the machine. And, you know, and I told her, I like that machine is, it's a, it's a garbage disposal. You put your money in, in the same thing, it's the same thing as garbage. You put your money in the garbage, it's gone. You put your money in the machine, it's gone. And of course she would try to get in again and she was heartbroken that she couldn't get this thing. I think the thing that I found that has helped me to encourage her to save more and she has been saving a lot more lately is teaching her the value of compound interest. And so I had to add an interest rate to the allowance and found that she really took to it. She's like, oh my gosh, you mean that if I had $5 from last week, then I'm going to get so many cents this week just from that $5 making it. And so I am so glad you brought up that point. I do think that Dave Ramsey, if anybody wants to look it up, has one of the best pieces called Teenagers and Becoming Millionaires. It's so powerful. The guide there. Whenever I'm speaking to students, I always kind of pull up that screen that's starting early. Even if you have to stop, you know, within eight years or something, you can look it up. But I think it's the person invests from 21 until 28. And then they stop and someone else starts at like 29 and goes to 65. And they put in um, so much more money. The younger people, even though they only did for eight years, nobody can catch up because of the value of compound interest. Oh, yeah. The value of compound interest is really strong. And what's great is that at least on some level, my daughter is able to get that on She's able to understand that. And I want her to feel like, look, there's, there's real power in saving. And I'm not a champion at it. You know, I'm coming at it as a father who has not so much. I don't like spending a lot. That's not it. But there are other elements with finance that are very challenging for me. 
And so at least I feel like I can help that next generation and get it. Tell me a little bit about you as a girl, as a little girl. What was that like? I mean, what was your personality then? Just explain to me, kind of, so I'm sure, like, in terms of spending and everything, are you saying, like, everything. are you asking? Everything. I, um, I want the full Leslie Greenman, you know, <laughs> as, a, as a girl, you know, tell your playfulness. I mean, really, my dad and I, my dad was my rock. My dad was my everything in life. And it's funny because, really, I barely spent much time with my mother because my dad had a boat. And every weekend, we lived in Boston. We would go out and the two of us would work on the boat. So we'd either, like, varnish or paint when it was out of season or we would go sail on the weekends. My father was a banker at first. And and then he, at the before he passed on, had kind of broken off from one of the banks and started kind of a venture capital firm. And so I absolutely got a lot of that banking understanding from him. He gave us our first checkbooks and walked us through all of that. And so I know that's powerful. But really, when he passed on, I will always remember sitting in his den. And I will say one of those things that transforms you is opening up his desk and having a card that says, is this the best that you can be? And I uh. mean, for years and years, mainly until the d- a card disintegrated, you know, I just carried that with me. And when you lose that person who's your everything, the impact of it, most women are really close to their mother. So I was the opposite. My dad was my closest friend in the world. I love my mother. She's my best friend and everything, but it was so different that my father truly was that absolute role model to me. And we spent almost every moment together. And so I'm sure I got some of the love of understanding money and finances from him. So you bring up a really powerful point about what your dad meant to you. And I think to myself that what's so interesting about that is that if we're going to empower our little girls, that there is the role that a father will play in that. And there is the role that a mother will play in that. And some girls don't have fathers, don't have mothers. You know, there's many different situations, but the father and the mother need to decide how am I going to empower my daughter, and that's going to look very different. That's uh, a very beautiful story. I really appreciate that you would share that about your dad. Can you share with me a little bit more about how it is that your father affirmed you as a person? Whew, that's a big one. <laughs> First of all, I'm just going to say, because I think it's so cool that there are now studies out that American Funds, if I am correct, said that women are the ones now who are having more of these conversations with children. And it's really important that women understand that now they are usually statistically the ones having these conversations. And it may be because the divorce rate is so high in the United States. States. I absolutely don't want to underestimate or devalue the power of women having these conversations yeah. and the role that they have. 
what has been so powerful with my dad is that understanding that he treated me as an equal and he knew that I could handle this financial information and didn't give my brother the understand the checkbook, understood and made sure that we knew that we were equal and had every opportunity and to push yourself to have every opportunity in the world. At a critical point when my father passed on, my brother was there at a moment and I mean, it may sound silly, but I'll always remember it. My, I mean, my brother sat there in my mother's kitchen and said, Leslie, I don't know. I don't care what you do in life, but you max out your Roth IRA. And like when you're 21 years old, like you're like, okay, like, does this really matter? But I absolutely listened and understand now the full value of it. And with my own children, with their jobs that they're working in the summer or during school, and again, any parent can do this, but I've said, whatever you make in your job, I'll open up a Roth IRA and I'll match it. And so I want to give them the incentive to understand kind of the value of work. And I think my dad really taught me that even though it may have not been paid work, but when we were working on a sailboat together, always working, there's just so many moments that are powerful when I just remember just my dad and I, those endless hours varnishing, which may sound so unglamorous in no, life. No, I got to, I got to so tell you right beautiful. now, you're, you're talking about that and I'm just thinking like, I'm kind of jealous, you know. <laughs> I I didn't get to varnish a sailboat with my dad or anything like that, and I love sailing. You know, I, I haven't done it much, and I haven't done it for a long time. It's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful experience. I'm imagining you going through this, and I'm really excited that you got to do this. And I think even just including my daughter in some of the household chores, but also fix it jobs and stuff like that, and giving her that sense, yeah, I can do this. You know, I was just reading an article the other day in Life Hacker by Amy Lutkin. And it goes through all these little facts about how we treat our daughters differently from our sons. Daughters will receive less of an allowance. Daughters will receive, if there's a monetary gift for Christmas, they will receive less. And any other gifts associated with schooling, daughters on average will receive less. And I think like, why in the world are we doing this? It's just silly. You know, it's very strange. It needs to stop. I mean, I'm on the board of the Women's Foundation of Greater St. Louis and so, so passionate. I mean, it's so horrible that a woman receives, saves 80% on a dollar of what a man earns. And so these are why I am so passionate that women have to start getting vocal about having really uncomfortable conversations. For example, when my husband passed on, he did not have life insurance. And like, Mm. we had talked to life insurance people before then. And he's like, Oh, I don't need life insurance. It's not that important. And he rolled it off. And those are the times when I should have been like, No, you know, trusted your gut and fought that one. Because I realize now what a difference my life would have been if we had life insurance. And so those really uncomfortable conversations We have to start having, and you can see it everywhere, women have to start asking for equal pay and equal opportunities in everything in life. Interesting thing about life insurance that I find 
is very important to do when you're trying to help somebody establish, you know, how much money they need. The question you're asking is not, should not be pointed at the policyholder. It should be pointed at the beneficiary. You know, so the question never should have been for your husband. Do you need life insurance? The question should have been for you. Hey, does your husband need life insurance? You know, and of course you're going to say, heck yeah. <laughs> you know, And uh, so I think that that's really revealing. And I'm very s- sorry that he didn't have that type of a backup. The struggle I'm sure was huge. Could you tell me a little bit about what got you out of that situation? Well, I will just say, I think that when you see how vulnerable you are, you don't want that for anyone else. And so in my book, especially, I don't want people to have the conversations that I had to have with my husband, the final conversation. So I talk about it right before my husband passed on. We were in hospice and I was sitting there and I was called into the office and completely taken off guard when they They said to me, would you like the $600 or the $6,000 cremation? And I mean, I'm just, I don't even know where this is coming from. I didn't even think my husband was passing on. And I'm like, is there a reason I should take the 6,000 over the 600? I mean, like nobody teaches you those things in school. I mean, and so it's really hard to know how to be prepared kind of for the unexpected moments in life. And so I think I never want anyone to have to have kind of the difficult conversations because I had to then go in and ask my husband, like, what were his final wishes? We had never discussed that. And that was one of my final conversations with my spouse. And I don't ever want that to be for anyone else. So if I can save other people, that is kind of the desire that burns within me that kind of led me to go down this road of helping women To get into this industry as a financial advisor, I had to take all of these tests and I was a single parent and was studying from 10 p.m. till 2 a.m. in the morning to take all these tests. And then I'd have to be up again at 5 a.m. with the kids. So I mean, living regularly on three to four hours of sleep, which really isn't probably the best way to study when you're competing against all of these men, you know, who are at jobs where they pay them to just study all day long for the tests. But I always had this quote that says, sincerity more than genius or talent leads to success in life. And when I went in to take the test, the only thing I knew for sure is I was not the smartest person in the room. But I also knew I so sincerely wanted to help women and make sure that they were not taken advantage of because I could see how easy it is for a woman to be taken advantage of either when she's widowed or divorced. And that was my goal to make sure that never happened or if I could stop it from happening to women. I really respect your boldness. And more than anything, Leslie, I I really appreciate that you would share so much of your personal and very painful story. And I just want to let you know that we're very grateful for that. I want to go back to your mom because we've talked about a lot of the things that your dad did to affirm you. I want to talk a little bit more about your mom. Now, one of the things that really touched me is that she talked with you in the wake of your father's death, said you need to be able to be independent. She set the example for you. 
What were the things that you did with her that were the most enjoyable for you as a child? Were the things... Oh, golly. Isn't that funny? Because most of my moments, I really remember my father as kind of that main, um, the main person in my life. Because really, it's funny because my mother took us shopping. I remember like on Friday afternoon, she would take us and we'd go and have a meal and go shopping. And when I think about it now, like, I mean, shopping is the last thing in the world. (laughs) That I, I, really- I like shopping. <laughs> I do. You know. Think about doing like with my children and stuff like that. Yeah, I really, I think it's that quality time. As again, we'll go back to the quote, when I think about with my father passing on, and as you're talking about with your children, I think one of the things I had to have come to peace with is that idea that I would rather have had 15 years so close with him than 35 not as close. If I could just say, I mean, we all know the value of time is so much more important than any other gift that we can give people. And I'm just putting down your phone. So again, with my children, with my nieces, anyone, when we go out to eat and again, talk about trying to be courageous, even with their friends, I'll say, put away your phones because everyone knows when you're going out to eat with me, you are not using your cell phones and you be surprised. I mean, I know yours aren't teenagers yet, but just how (laughs) aggressive that phone is and how you have to speak pretty firm to even some of their friends. Like, put your freaking phone away. (laughs) I'm bracing myself, Leslie. I'm bracing myself. I do have the rule, like when we're at the table, at the dinner table, we don't have our books out because they, they have their little Disney books and things like that. We don't have those out. No pad and paper, nothing like that. So we try to focus and stuff like that. I, I really firmly agree with you on that. And I'm hoping that my strictness with that and my wife's strictness with that pays off in the future. I, <laughs> gosh, I'm so scared, but whatever. <laughs> so what about hobbies? You like to sail when you were a girl. What were some of the things you collected? your favorite toys, your favorite, anything else? I mean, really, we had amazing trips. So we honestly sailed to Bermuda once and we sailed to Nova Scotia and Newfoundland. And so we did really long trips. So we definitely kind of spent a lot of time really just playing cards on the boat or reading. So I'm sure that now that's created this lifelong learning, just like you, who I love to listen to uh, podcasts or I always have a book on tape in my my car or yeah, or an audio audio books on my phone. It's been fun. I think I really have taken up more hobbies even now though. Um, really? So- I do not go a day without kind of running my dogs and running. And I think as a single parent, I really took up. And if I could give anyone kind of that motivation, you've read books like The Power of Habit, where like exercise, they say almost most of the successful people in life exercise every day. And I really didn't understand how much that exercise really um, relates to everything in your life. 
And so when I was a single parent starting over, I said, you know, I just need to know that like I can complete some freaking task. <laughs> and so I signed up for a 5K. And I remember like being breathless, you know, yeah. I mean, like the first five minutes running. And now like I'll run an hour and a half. I mean, I've written, I've run half marathons, but it was that goal. And if it's now with women, well, any American today, they're saying, you know, none of us almost have a thousand dollars in savings. So I tell people take the baby step and there's a wonderful thing on the internet that says, you know, for the first week, start saving $2 a week for the first month, then move to $5 and then the next month, $10 a week. And then the next month, it's $15 a week. And in less and in around 10 months, you've got a thousand dollars saved. And I just have seen that if it's running, I did many triathlons and I am pathetic at swimming. I mean, like, and again, <laughs> same thing where like wait, wait, you sailed. And there's like no way that you can run like 250. You can swim it. But that's what I think is the motivation and hitting the goals in exercise, different things like that really relate that you then have the confidence and know you can hit reach any goal in your financial life or in your career too. See, but you sailed as a girl. How is it that you're such a miserable swimmer? Oh my gosh, I do. I love to sail. I love to windsurf. I still get the water. I always love to swim. I just was horrible at competitive swimming and speed. That's Ah, like, I can't do the, I can't swim fast. Even like when I wanted to be a lifeguard, I had to just work and work to get the speed um, to pass it. Yeah. yeah. But no, I've never had issues swimming. I love, yeah, love that. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. I love it. I love your story and I really appreciate that you would share it. I have just one more question for you and that is, what is your favorite charitable cause? I mean, really, right now, I'm so passionate about the Women's Foundation of Greater St. Louis. I am just am so passionate about making sure that we're empowering women and having the voice and having the confidence to learn kind of how to defend themselves. I mean, some of the things we just take for granted and we forget in St. Louis, just all the sex trafficking. I mean, you think this isn't really happening here. I mean... We take for granted being able to come home to a safe home often. I mean, some people I take for granted. Let me say, I take for granted them, first of all, being able to know how I'm going to get to work, you know, having a car, being able to know I'm going home to a safe home, you know, and I'm not going to be abused there. I have a job where I can make the choices of what I do each day. I mean, most people don't have those options. And it's really important that we work to make sure that it's said too often, but it is still important just that women can understand how to confidently take care of themselves. Well, 
I'll just put it this way. If you look statistically, most of the women who have been abused are women who men look at and see low self-confidence. So yeah, if we can change that. this, they target it. So if we can change this number one fact of women gaining confidence in themselves and being able to stand up for themselves, even asking the difficult conversations when you're dating. So I don't mean like on a first date, be like, what's your credit score? But (laughs) there are certain red flags that we all can see so that we know when to walk away from relationships which aren't healthy and also jobs and people. And even, I hate to say it there, we often have family members that it's not healthy. Yep. Oh, I agree. So tell me a little bit more about this women's organization in St. Louis. Do you have any recollections of any stories that have really motivated you from that organization? Specific stories of women who have been empowered by that organization? Maybe not by name. I want to respect privacy, of course. I mean, really, for me, it was a fun. Last year, we decided to be a part of the Women's March in Greater St. Louis. And I took one of my nieces, the other one couldn't be with us because I just wanted them to understand the power of women having a voice and uniting together. It's have you done any half marathons or anything? Oh gosh, um, I'm like not that? even close. No, not even close. Cause no. the only thing I can remember that was like the moment kind of like that is I was in Nashville doing the rock and roll marathon. And before it starts, like there's just, I mean, thousands and thousands of people and we're all there. And it's so cool. Like if you're a country music person, like hearing them blast, you know, like Florida, Georgia line, but it, and everyone is so unified in that. So, and so the Women's March is the closest thing that I could, that might be relatable to you is all of us just walking down that street and you looking everywhere and just mothers, daughters, children of all ages, mothers with strollers, um, older people, all of us wanting to have a voice and work together. And I mean, really, that's one of the most powerful things. And even um, if it's bitter cold, I mean, they were out there, <laughs> you know, just two or three weeks ago. So thank you very much, Leslie. It has been a pleasure to talk with you, to have you on the show. And thank you so much. Thank you so much for what all you're doing. I think this podcast is a powerful reminder to all of us to never forget that we can take charge of our finances. Thank you for listening. Be sure to check the show notes at www.choosethenickel.com for links to names, books, and other resources we discussed in today's show. While you're there, subscribe to your newsletter. Also, please like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel, and share with your friends. We appreciate your support.